morning, everybody. It's so good to be with you this morning, and if you're feeling a bit strange this morning, it's probably because you're being forced to stare at some really strange people. Amen? You can kind of point them out across the aisle a little bit. Um, we, uh, we're doing things a little bit differently uh, this morning, and uh, we're not going to leave uh, the setup like this. We may do it again at some point, but it's important to remember that sometimes in our lives, we get in ruts, don't we? And we end up doing the same thing over and over and over again, whether it's in our habits or whether it's in our behaviors and lots of different things, even in church. And so one of the things that we wanted to do is give a visual representation of who we believe that God has called us to be, and that's a family. When you're uh, sitting at home eating uh, dinner together as a family, how do you sit? You sit around the table, don't you? Yeah, you probably don't all sit and face the same direction, right? If you're watching TV, maybe, right? But if you're having dinner at a table, which we are going to today later as we celebrate Holy Communion, you sit around together. And it's an important reminder for us that we are family. When you look across that aisle, you're looking at your brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether you like them or not, you don't have to like them, but we're called to love each other, right? With all our quirks and habits and, and weirdness, right? We are family. And whether it's your first time here this morning, and for some of you it is, and you're like, what in the world kind of church is this? Uh, Or it's your millionth time here. We're a church that loves each other. We're a church that's called to reach across the aisle and maybe meet somebody new every single week that you haven't. What if you did that every week and not just on some weird Sunday? It's important to remember that when we come into worship, it's easy, it, we, we get into ruts really easy, and it's, we, we come in and we get in this habit of, of getting our bulletin, and we go to our seat, and we automatically shift into the mode of spectator, don't we? Because most everything else in our lives, we're spectators. We go to the game, we're spectators, right? We go to the uh, movie, we are spectators. You go to a show at the Civic Center, you are a spectator, you are an audience member, and we get in this mindset that we sit down and whatever we're facing, we consume. That really it's about, we think, what's on stage rather than what's going on here among us. And the trap that we fall into is that this is the show. (laughs) And we wanted to give you a visual representation this morning that that's not the show. They're a good-looking bunch of people. They're very talented musicians. But when you walk in here every week, our hope is that your focus is not on them. Maybe you're watching the words, but ultimately, the show is what's going on in your heart between you and God. That's the most important thing. You are not the audience. You are participants. God is the audience. You are participants, and these people up here, they're just the instigators, right? They're just the catalysts. They're just the ones that get us moving. They're not really the show either. I'm not really the show. And so today, I'm not going to try to make you too dizzy. I'm not going to try to move around too much. But I wanted you to get a visual visual representation of who we're called to be as God's family. So we get in ruts in worship. We also get in ruts, and I think in a far more dangerous way, when it comes to the gospel. When it comes to the gospel. Do you know what what the word gospel means? It means good news, right? What does the gospel mean? Good news, right? That's why we're here. That's why we gather every single week. But we can also get into a rut with the gospel. And this is a very dangerous thing. 
this, this, this message of salvation, the greatest news we could ever hear, that Jesus Christ came, died, rose again, paid the penalty, defeated sin and death, and offers us in exchange eternal life. Amen? That's the gospel, right? And that's the greatest news we could ever hear. But sometimes I think if we're not careful, it can become, well, mediocre news or okay news or, oh, that's kind of fun or that's okay news. And if we're honest, we just kind of slip into a rut where I just kind of put in my time. I do my religious things. I come to worship every Sunday and we forget about the power of the glorious gospel that we have been entrusted with as God's family. And so today our desire is that if you're hearing this news for the very first time, that it would be the greatest thing you've ever heard. And our prayer is that if you've heard this a thousand or a million times, that it would still be the greatest news you have ever heard. That it would never grow old for you. That's our prayer. In fact, our prayer is, is, is I was thinking about this this week, King David after just a, a terrible sin that he commits, he prays this prayer to God, and right in the middle of it, he says these beautiful words, and this is going to be up on the screens behind you. Let's read this together nice and loud, and let us make this our prayer this morning that God would refresh us with the power of the gospel. Let's read this together. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That's our heart for all of us today. That's our prayer. I just want to let you in behind the scenes a little bit here at, at Hope and specifically here at Hope Des Moines. Our number one desire, we hope that you have a great time. We hope that you feel loved and welcomed and encouraged. We hope that you got some coffee and a donut hole and that you enjoy the worship service today. But our number one desire this week and every single week when you come is that you would fall more and more in love with Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. Because here's something that I'm convinced of. Here's something I am absolutely convinced of. And if you don't hear me say anything else today, hear this. I believe that the power of the gospel will never be effective through us until it has been effective in us. You know what I'm saying? We can do all these things, we can do all this ministry, we can do all this service, but if it is not the core thing that is beating in our hearts as a church, then what are we doing? God, if your spirit's not here, then I don't want to be here. God, I long for your spirit, so that is our heart this morning. We want you to understand the gospel in a fresh way, that maybe it would be brand new to you this morning. Sometimes to understand the power of the gospel, we have to understand the gravity of our own sin. And that's exactly where we find the Apostle Paul today. So if you haven't had a chance, open up those Bibles to Romans chapter 7. And that's where we're going to be for the majority of today. Romans chapter 7. We're going to try to grasp this gospel a little bit more. And to help us do that, we've been in the, the book of Romans this summer. It's our summer sermon series, Paul's Letter to the Romans, this group of letters that Paul wrote to the church uh, in Rome. And uh, we've been in the middle. I don't know about you, but this is some pretty deep stuff, don't you think? Right? Romans is not like a nice bedtime read, 
right? <laughs> it's not very comforting, right? We start off with God's wrath. We talk about how depraved we are because of our sin. And today we get to talk about our sin again. Aren't you excited? Yeah, maybe not, right? No, maybe not so much, right? But that's what Romans does. Romans is one of Paul's greatest books that he ever wrote. It's this great theological treatise. And right in the middle of all these chapters that are really deep theology, understandable but deep, is this really weird chapter, and it's chapter 7. Do you have that open, chapter 7? If you need a Bible, just grab one. There's plenty on the ends of the rows. We get to chapter 7, and it's like, am I reading somebody's diary? <laughs> right? We're like, what in the world is going on here? Because all of a sudden, Paul moves from theologian and preacher to this extremely vulnerable, honest man who's saying, I've got issues. Does anybody have issues? Okay, 50% of you raise your hand. Turn to your neighbor right now and just say, believe it or not, you've got issues. Just remind him, you've got issues. Gee whiz. At least we've got that figured out. My word. You're going to leave today thinking, there's one thing I remember. I've got issues, right? No, don't remember that. Don't remember that. So it seems like we're reading this page out of Paul's uh, diary, and he's really vulnerable. And if I could entitle this passage that Andy read for us earlier, there's, there's an easy way to title it, and I think it's this. Why I do what I don't want to do. Right? Let's say that together. Why I do what I don't want to do. That's what Paul is saying here. So let's look at it. We're going to start in verse 18. Paul says this, And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Verse 19. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Verse 20. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong Instead, it is the sin living in me that does it. Can anybody relate to that? I sure hope so. Maybe by the end of today you will. Ever do things that you'd hate? Ever do things you don't want to do? Ever not do things that you do want to do? <laughs> That's the dilemma that Paul is in here. And we get so frustrated, uh, we end up... Uh, go ahead and go to the next slide. Sometimes I think... Um, what we end up looking like um, is, uh, go back one, sorry, one more back. We end up looking like this guy, really frustrated. We want to pull our hair out, but we don't have any hair to pull out, right? I'm getting there. I don't know about you, but that's how I feel sometimes, right? And I think that's how Paul's feeling today. It's like, I am so frustrated. I am at the end of my rope. I can't be the person that I want to be. And I'm guessing at one point or another in our lives, or maybe if you're like me, every single day, you feel this way, right? We say, I'm going to get up every morning. Uh, have you ever made a, well, first of all, have you ever made a New Year's resolution? Have you kept it all the way through? No, right? Probably 99.9% .9 no, right? It's hard when we set our mind to things. We say, I'm going to get up at 6.30 in the morning, every single morning, and I'm going to pray and read my Bible for an hour. I'm going to study God's word early in the morning. Do we do it? No. Because it's hard, because it's difficult, and the only thing we end up studying is the inside of our eyelids, right? Or how about this? I'm not going to yell at the kids anymore. I'm done doing that. Never going to yell at the kids again. Do we do it? No. <laughs> For those of you with kids, 
Probably not, right? I'm never going to get in another argument with my spouse. I'm going to be the most patient person in the world with my spouse. Are we? No. No. Not all the time. That's not how it happens. Or even maybe more seriously, we say, I'm going to... I'm never going to let my mind wander again. I'm never going to think a judgmental thought about somebody else again in my life. Do we? Yeah. We struggle with it. It comes up again. I'm never going to look at somebody else again lustfully. I'm never going to go to that page on the internet again. And do we do it? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. We struggle with these things. And Paul's saying, I know there's these things that I shouldn't do, but I do them anyway. Paul's saying, it's almost like there's this battle that's going on in my heart between the old Paul and the new Paul. And it's really important for us, look at this passage again. Just glance through that passage again. If you were just reading that and you didn't know what it was in Romans, how new of a Christian, or would you say this person is a Christian or not? Just look at that. They are messed up. Who is this Romans author? He's got to pull his life together. It would be helpful for us to know that when Paul is writing this, he has been a Christian for 15 years. Not only that, he is one of the greatest church planters of all time. The dude is messed up. And I think that we can relate. I don't think he's the only one that feels this way. Paul is a Christian of Christians. He's a leader of leaders. And here he is saying, I haven't got this all figured out yet. There's this civil war going on inside of me between my sinful nature, my flesh, and the new person and and the spirit that God has put inside of me. And so there's this battle going on. In fact, Martin Luther, who our church, Lutheran Church of Hope, the Lutheran movement is named after, Martin Luther was notorious for struggling with his own sin. And I love this. He once wrote of his struggle with, he even named his sinful self, right? He's like, there's this man that's living inside of me that's causing me to do things I don't want to do. And Martin Luther once says this, I thought I had drowned the old man, but the rascal knew how to swim. Don't we feel that way sometimes? I thought I had put my past behind me. And then the rascal knew how to swim. He comes popping back up. And a closer look at this passage, look at the passage again. I want you to know that when you read this in the original Greek text that it was written in, in the Greek language, every single verb here is in the present tense. Paul's not saying, oh, once upon a time before I became a Christian, I did struggle with sin. He's not saying, oh, you know, the first five years of my Christian walk, I was really messed up, but now I got everything figured out. He is writing this as one of the greatest Christians, probably the greatest preacher of all time outside of Jesus, probably. And every single verb here is in the present tense. This is something Paul is going through right now. Look, uh, look again at verse 23. Let's look at this. Paul is so appalled with himself that he feels this tension. Uh, And he says this, actually we'll start in verse 22. He says, don't get me wrong, I love God's law with all my heart. I think all of us would say that or we wouldn't be here today. I love God's law, I want to follow him. Verse 23, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power, and look look how graphic he gets. 
It actually makes me a slave to sin. It's like I'm chained to sin and I can't escape it. And my sinful desires are leading me to do things that there's a part of me that I don't want to do. It's the old, you know, have you ever seen like the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the old shoulder, other shoulder, right? It's not necessarily biblical, but inside of us, yeah. There is that tug of war going on every single day. And we know that one of the big lies out there is that once you become a Christian, all your old habits, all your old behaviors, all your old addictions that you used to struggle with, poof, they're magically gone, right? Sometimes God can do that, can he? God can heal. He has the power to do that through the cross. But does it always happen like that? No, it doesn't. It doesn't always happen like that. We think sometimes that to be a Christian, you have to have this amazing smile on your face and that every single week when you walk in here, you should look like that. How are you? Everything's great! What if it's not? What if it's not? There's a funny story uh, about this, <laughs> this lie that we often believe that we have it all together. There was a man that uh, told his pastor... One day he was so fired up, he kind of looked like this guy, and he said, you know what, Pastor? Before I became a Christian, I had this terrible habit with swearing, with using God's name in, in vain, but, but since I came, came to Christ, I haven't had the temptation to swear at all. And the pastor's just, okay, just nodding his head, okay. And he goes on, before I came to Christ, you know, I used to be a, used to be a chain smoker, but now, you know what, I'm not even tempted to anymore. And then he goes on, before coming to Christ, you know, I... I, I used to struggle with lust all the time, but now after becoming a Christian, I am never tempted to look at any beautiful woman, ever. I just, just never. I just don't even, don't even have that temptation again. And he finally says to the pastor, with my past forgiven and my future assured and filled with the Holy Spirit here in the present, I don't have a problem in the world. And the pastor uh, said, I wanted to look at him and said, Okay, sir, so tell me, how long have you had an issue with honesty? And isn't that our experience too? I got it figured out, I got it figured out, I got it figured out, fail. That's our experience, this side of heaven. In fact, that's what Paul is saying here in chapter 7. Paul's saying, don't get me wrong, and I don't want you to hear me wrong today either. God wants us to know we're saved. He wants us to have that assurance that what he did on the cross, Paul's not negating that. He just spent the first half of Romans saying, I'm only here by the grace of God through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, right? I am forgiven, and we can know that this morning. You are forgiven. He offers you that through the power of the cross. Paul said, I, I, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe it all. I have the Holy Spirit living in me. But we still face battles every day, don't we? Battles between who God has called us to be and who we used to be. I know that, and, and you know that. And if we needed a reminder, um, I got one this past week. So uh, Tiffany and I had an opportunity to do some traveling uh, these last couple weeks. Uh, went on a little vacation, and it was good. And by the way, I'm going to like start a petition, maybe in my prayers to God, to move Colorado on the other side of Nebraska, so that when you drive west, you can just... Get, you know what I'm saying? I got nothing against Nebraska except it's it's standing in the way of me and the Rockies. That's the only thing I got against it. So we could just switch Colorado. Okay, that's a soapbox. So we go driving out west, right? We go driving out west, and uh, during our time there, we got to spend some time with some friends and uh, got to talk to one of my uh, buddies out there who's kind of always going through a difficult time. And so we enjoy some good conversation. I'm with my friend, and 
we get to talking pretty honestly about where he's at. And he said, you know, John, I, I have been a Christian for a long time. <laughs> I grew up in the church, as probably as many of, of, of you have. He said, I've been around the church my whole life. I've been in Bible studies. I've been in small groups. I've, I've stayed busy serving. I've been involved in the community. I've said the prayers you're supposed to pray. I've, I've, I've committed my life over and over again. But for some reason, it's just not enough. You know, I don't know if you ever feel this way. Like, I get it all in my head, and I even believe it here. But for some reason, what I see in my life doesn't match up with what I read in Scripture. You ever felt that way? <laughs> this is not the person that I want to be. For some reason, I just can't get over this hump. The Bible says I'm God's son, but I don't feel like it. The Bible says I'm forgiven, but I just don't trust it sometime. The Bible says I have nothing to fear, but why am I always stressed? Why am I freaking out all the time? The Bible says I'm free, but why do I keep going back to the same habits, the same sins over and over? And finally, he just gets super honest. He's just like, John... It's almost like, in, he said, I, I kind of feel like I'm in confession right now because you're some sort of priest, right? I said, no, you're not in confession. We can just be friends, right? He said, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but like, gee whiz, after all these years, don't you think I'd have it figured out? I felt that. Have you felt that? Don't you think after all this time, those of you that have been following Christ for some time, don't you think we'd kind of have it figured out by now? Why do we keep running back to these things? He's like, John, I've dedicated myself, and then I rededicated myself, and then I rededicated the dedication to my dedication to my dedication. Right? Have you ever done that? This is it, God. I'm fully surrendering my life to you. This is it. Okay, the last time wasn't it, but this is it now, right? And we do that over and over and over again, and a lot of times it just feels like we're spinning our wheels. And so he says... Um, John, I don't know what to do. I just feel stuck. And so he's just being super honest. He's looking me right in the eyes, this good friend. And I just look at him with my compassionate pastoral heart. And I say, yeah, sorry, dude. Stinks to be you. I'm kidding. That's not what I said. Come on. All of you are like, what? I should never be a pastor, right? No, that's not what I said, right? He said, no, John, seriously, you're like a pastor dude or something. So don't you have a secret don't you have something you can give me that'll get me unstuck? And so as I'm thinking, I couldn't help but think, wow, this is what Christianity is all about, huh? More things to feel guilty about. I'd actually rather not be a Christian because then I just wouldn't have to worry about it. At least I wouldn't have this tug of war inside me. I just have more things to feel guilty about. And for some reason, I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. And secondly, I told my friend, I said, I couldn't help but hear how many times I heard me, 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 I, I, I. I never really heard him. I heard a lot about your ability. I heard about a lot about your strength, but I never really heard about him. And I said, you know what? You're right. <laughs> You're hopeless. <laughs> and so am I. Because even pastor dudes struggle with this. And I think that Paul would agree. Look what Paul says in verse 24. <laughs> this is the conclusion that Paul comes to. This is the conclusion my friend comes to. What a miserable person I am. 
Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? How in the world are we going to get unstuck? That's the question before us. Thinking about this, this feeling of, of, of being completely, a feeling hopeless and feeling completely stuck, and I couldn't help but uh, get a bit nostalgic this week. It's been an eventful few weeks in the Annenson house. Uh, we moved. We recently bought a house here in the neighborhood, and, uh, but I couldn't help but think about our old home. And um, if you want to go to the next slide, we had some adventures. Um, so there's Tiffany and I in our car. I'm kidding. That's not us. People need to loosen up a little bit today. That's not us. It's a joke, okay? These memories came flooding back. If you know anything about the Annenson driveway uh, that used to be, uh, it resembles sort of a black diamond uh, at a ski, uh, ski resort, right? It's about like this, okay? It's about a 50-degree angle, right? That was our old driveway. And it looked something like that. And as we're moving to our new home, I stood and I looked back up at our old home and at the driveway, and I said, ah. Oh, I know some people have heard this story before, but I need to take a trip down memory lane just one last time. So there we were on that frightful night of Christmas Eve a few years ago. I was all decked out in my suit and tie, and Tiffany was in her, her high heels and a nice Christmas black dress, and we were all ready to go out the door, and we jumped into the car, and there we were in the car, ready to go down our driveway, thinking everything is fine, It's a little snowy, it's a little icy. Some of you remember the snowstorm a couple years ago during Christmas, right? It's that year. And so we're not thinking, and so we start backing down the driveway, and all of a sudden, the car that was once backing down going straight is now sliding off to the right, right? And Tiffany's like, do something! We're sliding! I'm like, I can't! I don't have any control, right? I don't have any control. And we go sliding, and all of a sudden, we just keep going, and the wheels just take themselves, and we go thunk! You have to understand on one side of our driveway is brick. On the other side of our driveway is a curb. And all of a sudden we're sliding before we know it. Thunk. Wedged. Sideways in our driveway. Merry Christmas. Right? Completely stuck. Completely helpless. And there we are. And I'm sure uh, those of you can, can remember, it's like a blizzard outside. It's terrible. But we had to get to the late Christmas Eve service at 11 o'clock. So, um... Tiffany's uh, being extremely patient, uh, as she always is with me, and she says, okay, well, I'll try to gun it, and you get outside and push. So I'm trying to push, and she's gunning it, and there's a mix of mud and snow and dirt kicking up in my face and covering uh, my suit, uh, and it's like, okay, we're not going to worship now. And so I'm like, okay, I got to figure this out. So I run in the house and grab some cardboard. I'm like, honey, you just hang there for a while and just hang out there. And so I'm getting cardboard and I'm shoving it under the wheels and nothing's working and we are completely stuck. Now you have to understand the situation here was not exactly filled with Christmas joy. Um, On her way up the snowy bank in her suit and high heels, Tiffany slips and starts sliding down the driveway with one of her heels rolling down the driveway. And I'm just wondering, okay, all our neighbors are viewing the pastor's family in all its glory. And, and, and I remember Tiffany says something to the effect of, oh, dear honey, I, belie- I believe that I've fallen. Could you please, wonderful husband, could you please retrieve my shoe? Uh, it wasn't quite like that. There were some, some words exchanged. Um, some shoes were thrown And uh, it was a great taste of the pastor and his wife's marriage. Let's just say that uh, the marriage was strengthened 
um, through the process. But the truth is, we were stuck, wedged, and no amount of our own strength or willpower was going to get us unstuck. We'd gunned it, we'd give cardboard, we've shoved, we've pushed it, we felt completely helpless, stuck. And I tell you that to tell you this. That's where my friend was, that's where Paul is, that's where we are. Without the power of Jesus Christ. Stuck. Wedged. And this is what Paul says in verse 17. Actually, I want to read this again from the message version. And I think it makes it hit home. So if you can read that, this is the condition we find ourselves in. Stuck. Let's read what Paul says. But I need something more. The power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions. I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. That's exactly where we were on the driveway that day. We obviously needed help. (laughs) We tried to will it, but we couldn't do it. And I wish that that's what Paul was saying about our sin. I I wish that what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 7 is, oh, you're just stuck and God just needs to give you a little boost. That's what he did on the cross. It's not really amazing grace. It's just, here's a little boost grace. I wish I could tell you that's our condition because of our sin. But that's not the case. The reality is because of our sin, we're not just stuck in the driveway. (laughs) We're dying. Or as Paul says one chapter earlier in Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. Meaning because of our condition, we're not just stuck, we're dying. And maybe the driveway story didn't quite do it for you, but maybe this one will. A few years ago, I had a, a friend of mine that grew up on a farm. And if anybody grew up on a farm, you know what it's like to be little boys on a farm. Everything is a fort. Everything is a playground. And so... One day they were out and uh, the, the, the driver had come to take away the grain from their silo and, and they pulled up a truck similar to that and a big grain truck. And uh, him and his brother were outside playing. They're probably eight and ten. So there's a younger brother and an older brother. And it just so happened to be the day that that grain bin was empty. And so they waited and they watched it get filled up with all this grain until it formed this big old pit, this huge uh, bunch of grain from the silos and so during the loadout their dad and the driver kind of wandered away for a little bit to talk to themselves and amongst themselves and so here's this giant truckload of grain and so the two boys hop up on the truck and all they see is the 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 greatest swimming pool ever this huge huge thing of grain and so they're looking at it and and you know how little boys are they get tempted pretty easy and so one of them just says here I go! And he just does a big can opener right into it. And it's not that deep. And, and he, he jumps in, he pops back. He's like, that was awesome! And so they're swimming around in this big truck of grain for a while. Well, what they didn't realize is that they were actually standing on was just a lip, was just a ledge. And that the pit of grain was actually about 20 feet deeper than they thought. And so... 
as little boys do, again, 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 and they, the little boy, the eight-year-old boy, jumps in, and he disappears for a second. But then he doesn't come back up. And so his brother is going, wait a minute, where are you? And he starts yelling out his name, and he starts screaming, and all he can see is this spiral of grain right in the middle that's just falling down and down and down, and all he can hear is the shrieking of his eight-year-old brother who has fallen down in this pit of grain. It's this scream that he would never forget. And so he's just panicking and his brother is falling down and, and there's not anybody in sight. And so he starts walking around the edge, like holding on to the edge and trying to reach down to save his younger brother who is drowning, literally drowning. And he, he tells me, I remember that moment like it was yesterday. I've never felt so helpless. And so in his desperation, all my friend could do to think of was scream at the top of his 10-year-old lungs, Dad! Dad! And somehow, his screams reached the ears of his dad, who was all the way at the house. And without hesitating, his dad comes running down from the farmhouse, climbs up on the truck, and without even thinking about it, dives right into the middle of the pit. And he disappears for a second. Only seconds later to, to re-emerge the dad with his son in his arms, holding him and the little eight-year-old boy gasping for breath because he didn't have much longer. And they re-emerge. And I cannot help but think of Paul. What a wretched man I am. Who can save me? The word wretched here in Romans actually means a person exhausted from battle. Did you know that? When Paul says, what a wretched man I am, he's saying, I'm exhausted. I am, my arms are worn out from battle and I think about this little eight-year-old boy and I say, that's us. We stand on the edge sometimes and that which is in front of us looks so tempting. God gives us these boundaries which to live and, and sometimes we just say, I don't care, I'm going to jump in. But then once we're in, sin has this way of dragging us down and down. And sometimes it seems like the harder we try to rescue ourselves, the deeper and deeper we sink. The deeper and deeper we sink. But it's in this moment right here that has the potential to make the gospel so real and relevant in our lives. So amazing in your life. Remember, we will never understand the power of the gospel through us until we understand the power of the gospel in us. And so here at the end of chapter 7, it's almost like Paul is writing Romans and all of a sudden his writing just comes in this crescendo and he can't contain himself anymore and he stands up from his desk and he puts his pen down and before even writing it, I think he just stands up on top of his desk and he just screams at the top of his lungs, Who, who's going to rescue me? Somebody's got to intervene for me. And then verse 25, maybe one of the greatest verses in all of scripture, Paul says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, thank you. Thank God. There's a hope. 
We have a Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. You and I have a loving Father who has run down from the porch of heaven and has run to us and has hopped right in the middle of our sin, right in the middle of the pit of grain with us, reaches down and grabs us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in the pit, while we were sinking. Not before you get yourself all cleaned up. This is the gospel and this is great news. There's a reason to say thank you. There's a reason to say thank you. In fact, we just stand for a second. I want you to look at the screens. Just stand and I want you, if you can, to read that. And what I want us to do, I want us to start nice and quiet, just like Paul did. And we're going to come to a crescendo. And I want us to read verses 24 and 25 together, nice and softly at the beginning. And when we get to verse 25, when we get to thanks be to God, I want you to say that as loud as you can. And let it be our prayer this morning. Let it be our declaration that this is the kind of God that we have that rescues us. And when we are done yelling that, would you just give a standing ovation to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Not to each other, but to him, the one who deserves all the glory and honor and praise. So let's say this together, starting quietly and gradually getting louder until the end. Let's let the whole city of Des Moines hear about our amazing God. So let's read this together. What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from this body? that is subject to death. Thanks be to God. Let's hear it. Who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's give God some praise. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You can have a seat. You can have a seat. Praise God. Praise God. I pray that would never get old for you. I pray that would never get old for you. And I pray that we would remember, as Paul writes in the very next verse, in the very next verse from Romans chapter 8, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we can remember when that old self comes crawling back, we could stare it right in the face and say, that's not who I am anymore. You have no power. You have no control over me. When we fall, we acknowledge it. We confess it. We make amends with anyone that we have hurt in the process. And we move on. Not because sin isn't serious, but because we're taking serious who God says we are. Amen? We look sin right in the eyes. And we remember that repentance isn't just turning from our sin. It's running into the arms of that loving Father who has rescued us. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. And last but not least, I just want to tell you this. If I'm completely honest, when I, I have to admit there are days when I walk up here to preach or there are days when I get up to be one of the leaders of this church and I just think, it's only by God's grace that I can do that. It's only by God's grace that I can some have some crazy harebrained idea to have everybody face each other in worship, right? It's only by, by God's grace that we can do what we do. And I think to myself, man, if only everybody knew the struggle I had on Tuesday. 
If only people knew what I went through on Friday. And I think there's only one thing that I can think of, of the reason that I should be up here. There's only one reason I can think of that any of us should be able to come and be here each week. And it is by the sheer grace of God who has come and rescued us from the pit. And I just want to say, man, I look forward to heaven. (laughs) Because I hate sin. (laughs) And I hope that you do too. And God takes it so seriously that he wants to rescue us from it. And that's his offer to you today. On this side of heaven, the battle will continue. But we know today and we can cling to this promise that even though the battles rage, the war has been won. Amen? Let's stand together.